So this morning we're going to continue our series, Liberty in Jesus. And you might think, um, how much longer can it go, Ben? Just a little bit longer. But thankfully, Galatians is one of those books. Praise God, it's a good book. And it's one that's applicable to our lives. Of course, the whole Bible is applicable to our lives. But Galatians specifically so in the everyday struggles that we face and our tendencies to want to go back to our old ways, to go back to our own goodness and our own works and our tendency to want to leave that sphere of grace that God has called us to. So the title of my sermon today is Don't Go Back. Don't Go Back. And we're going to be in Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 8, and we're going to read through verse 20. So if you will, you can go ahead and turn your Bibles. Don't stand though yet. I'm going to give you a little bit of time to do that. And I'm just going to get us into a little bit of an introduction to kind of get you guys ready for what God's Word here is talking about as Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia. So the first thing I want to ask you is, is have you ever wondered why people go back? And what I, re- what I mean by that is, why do people go back to horrible situations and relationships that they were once freed from? Why do they do that? Why do abused women go back to their abusers? Why do addicts go back to drugs? Why do alcoholics go back to alcohol? And why do troubled people go back to the friends they once had who always led them down the wrong roads. You know, on the outside looking in, it's easy for us to see the damage that someone is doing to themselves by living in that same way of life. Maybe for some of you it's a friend, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's even you. And you're noticing that they're going back to things that have obviously hurt them very much in their life. And a lot of times as we're on the outside looking in, we're asking this question, why? Can't you just see it? Why are you doing this? Well, Paul, in this situation here in chapter 4, is on the outside looking in the situation at these churches in Galatia. He's seeing them go back to their former ways. He's seeing them revert back to a pre-grace way of life. And what I mean by that is, is that these folks here in the churches of Galatia had been preached the true gospel. They knew that salvation was by grace alone. They understood that Jesus died and rose again and he paid the price in full. And they'd accepted Christ based upon that objective truth. But now Paul's on the outside looking in and he's seeing them go back to the former way of life. Going back to trying to be good enough. Going back to trying to live up to the law. Going back to trying to muster up enough good within themselves to be who they need to be. They may have been people who trusted Christ by grace for their salvation... But now they're not living according to grace in each and every day of their life. I'm not saying they lost their salvation. We don't believe you can if you've truly been born again. But what I am saying is, is they were no longer living according to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And really what we have to understand as Christians is that a way of life is grace. That when we get saved, yes, we're saved. Our name's been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And our destiny is set for heaven. But then each and every day that we live after that, we also must live in the grace of Christ. Because we're not just talking about in terms of salvation, but even when you get saved, you can get back into those former ways. Maybe you could get back into the sinful lifestyle that you once lived. Maybe you start to revert back to just trying to be good enough, and based on your morality and and your your good deeds, you find joy or you find some sort of a, a peace from that rather than the the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, rather than the grace of Christ. And you begin to live a lifestyle of bondage as opposed to a lifestyle 
of grace. Well, this is what Paul was seeing here take place. He was seeing churches that were believing that now in order to go to heaven, someone must be circumcised. In order to go to heaven, someone must obey the Old Testament laws and rituals that were given to the Jews in the Old Testament. They believed that all the Sabbaths must be kept. They believed that all the festivals must be kept. And Paul is stopping here and he's saying, don't go back. Don't go back to your former way of life. So if you found your place in Galatians chapter 4, you may go ahead and stand to your feet. Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to begin reading in verse 8. The Bible says this, But in the past, since you didn't know God, you were enslaved to things that by nature are not God's. But now, since you know God, or rather have become known by God, you, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elements? Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? You are observing special days, months, seasons, and years. I'm fearful for you that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. I beg you, brothers and sisters, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You have not wronged me. You know that previously I preached the gospel to you because of a weakness of the flesh. You did not despise or reject me, though my physical condition was a trial for you. On the contrary, you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. So then, have I become your enemy because I told you the truth? They court you eagerly, but not for good. They want to exclude you from me so that you would pursue them. But it is always good to be pursued in a good manner, and not just when I am with you. My children, I am again suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be with you right now and change my tone of voice because I don't know what to do about you. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Lord, today I pray that your word would cut to the very dividing asunder of soul and spirit, that you would, Lord, show us what you want us to do in life through your word. God, that we would open our hearts and minds to receive the truth. And God, that we wouldn't just listen to it, wouldn't be just like looking in a mirror, observing issues, and then walking away without fixing them, but that we would look in the mirror of the word, we would take notice of those things that should be corrected, and that we would, through your power, allow those to be corrected today. We entrust this time into your hands, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So as Paul is on the outside looking in, he begins to evaluate what's going on in these churches in Galatia. And the first thing that he begins to do is he asks the right questions. So if you're taking notes, write that down. He asks the right questions. Now, as we're going through this sermon, I want us to really look at this from two different perspectives. Number one, I want us to look at it from the perspective of those you know, people you love, your friends. And as you see them starting to revert back to their old ways, or you see them trying to earn their way to heaven through their good works as opposed to grace, I want you to begin to apply this directly to your situation, asking them the right questions. Or maybe this morning it's you. Maybe you're the one that has gone back. Maybe you're the one that is reverting back to that former way of life. Whether it's a former addiction, whether it's a former sin, or maybe it's just a former mentality of trying to be good enough, try, trying to meet expectations that you can never truly meet. Maybe it's by trying to earn God's favor as opposed to realizing that God's favor comes through his son Jesus, not by your goodness or your strength. Ask the right questions. 
Beginning in verse 8, Paul begins to speak, and he really gives them an idea of where they were and where they should be now. In verse 8, he says, But in the past, since you didn't know God, you were enslaved to things that by nature are not God's. He's saying your former way is in relation to slavery, and it is in relation to being enslaved by things that are not God's. By their very nature, they're not God's, nor can they be God's. In Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23, the Bible says this, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now I want you to hear that just for a moment. What the Bible is saying there is that all people know there's a God. Even atheists know there's a God. Did you hear what the Bible says? Of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Verse 19, since what can be known about God is evident among them. Because God has shown it to them. So not only do they suppress the knowledge of God, but God shows it to them in a way that is evident, and he shows it to them personally. Verse 20, for his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made, talking about God. As a result, people are without excuse. And that's hard to talk about in this day and age we live in because there's always an excuse. But God said people are without an excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. And this is what they did instead. Their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And that speaks to a lot of stuff going on nowadays. People who come out of uh, college with masters, PhDs, and all this other stuff, and they act like they know everything. They, they profess to be wise, but they can't figure out what a woman is. There's not a lot of wisdom in that, amen? You can say amen. Are y'all awake? All right, all right, good, good. Just making sure. I, I figured I'd, I'd hit y'all different. But. but claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God, this is the religion of humanism. I want you to hear this. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Wow. So here Paul is talking to these guys and he's saying, why are you going back to the former things? Why are you going back to idols? Why are you going back to the religion of humanism? Why in your mind do you, did you once think that Jesus was the only way and now somehow you can be that way? Somehow you can muster up enough goodness within your own life to be a God yourself, to call your own shots, to be good enough to get to heaven. He's saying it doesn't make sense. It's like trading the very best for the very worst. It's like the worst deal in the history of mankind, giving up it all for nothing, for foolishness. You know, as Paul is asking some questions here in verse 9 as we go on down, it's interesting that when we ask the right questions, it makes all the difference in the world. Yes or no questions, that's probably more of what we ask than anything else, will give you some information. However, the only true information that you get, you've already built into the question. 
For example, you ask your child, did you have a good day at school today? Yes. And that's all you're going to get. You think, well, tell me more about it. You know, what's going on? It's how you ask the question. You asked the wrong question is what it was. How about this question to your child? Why don't you tell me about your day at school? Then your child has to open up. They're probably going to tell you some things that you weren't expecting or that you weren't going to ask beforehand. And in all that, you're still going to find out if they had a good day or not based upon what they tell you. It's an open-ended question. And here in verse 9, you know what? Paul uses that same strategy. In verse 9, it says, But now, since you know God, or rather have become known by God, so that's where they are now. They came from a place of slavery to idols and to the religion of humanism. They came into a position of knowing God and being known by God. He's saying, there's the question. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elements? He didn't ask anything like, well, you know, you've had a really rough week, so I can kind of understand how you've turned from God. I can kind of understand how you've kind of turned back to your old ways because you've just had it rough, haven't you? Well, yes, I have. No, he said, how in the world can you have it all? Can you have eternal life through Jesus Christ, having lived by grace, uh, receiving salvation through faith by grace? And now, today, you're going to live as though none of that ever happened. Today, you're going to live and go back to your old ways. The Bible mentions that as like a dog returning to its vomit. It doesn't make sense. It's insanity, really, is what it is. And Paul's saying, are you guys really going to do that? Are you guys really thinking this through? And then he caps off the first question by asking a question that we all know the answer to and that really no other answer fits. He said, do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? That's kind of like asking someone, would you like for your house to be foreclosed on this week? Or would you like for your boss to fire you tomorrow? Well, some of you might actually say yes to that, so I better not ask that question. (laughs) But it's those questions we know, duh, no, I don't want to be enslaved. No, I don't want to be miserable. No, I don't want to do that. Then why are you doing it? He's asking the right questions, and he's making them think. And sometimes, guys, we need to ask ourselves those questions. Sometimes I need to get right with God, and I need to say, okay, God, I am going back to those old ways, and I'm sorry. God, I understand that this is not right. I understand that this is taking me down a path I don't want to go down. I understand there's no joy in calling the shots myself. There's no joy in me trying to muster up enough goodness within my own life to be what I need to be. God, I'm sorry I have not been leaning on you, the one who's in control of everything. Sometimes we need to ask our loved ones these questions. Sometimes we need to ask our children these questions. What do you, why are you doing that? Why are you going back to that? Hey, you know, God gave you victory over that. Why, are you, why in the world would you go back to that? Hey, God got you out of those relationships with those people who were causing your life uh, horrific effects, and yet you're going to go back to them? Think about what God did for you in that. And as we begin to think through those and ask the right questions, God reveals where we really are. And I think sometimes we're, when we're in it, we don't see it. But we got some people in our life that God has sent our way they can see things that we might not be able to see. Because when you're in the forest, you can't see the forest for the trees, but you got those friends who've got that bird's eye view and they can see you going down that wrong path. You know, God's put them in your life for a reason. And if you can trust their relationship with Jesus, you need to trust what they say to you. Now, there's some friends that are gonna lead you down the wrong path and those are the ones you need to get away from. Those are the ones you need to be out of a relationship with. But those are the kind of questions that we ought to be asking. So as Paul asks these questions, 
He goes to verse 10, and he says, You are observing special days, months, seasons, and years. What he's saying is, is listen, you know God. You are known by God. He's freed you from slavery. And now you're going back into the old covenant of all the festivals, of all the Sabbaths, of all the feasts, of all the rules, of all the regulations, and you're digging this stuff up and you're thinking that if you continue to observe all this Old Testament stuff, that somehow you're going to be more holy and somehow you're going to have more of a chance of going to heaven and somehow you're going to be forgiven and receive more favor from God. And this was his response to the fact that they were doing this in verse 11. He said, I am fearful for you. Hey, have you ever been fearful for someone? You know they're about to destroy their life. You know they know better. And you're on the outside looking in and you are fearful for what they're about to enter into. Hey, you know what? I think God has that same feeling many times for a lot of us. Because he honors our free will. We are creatures of free will. And many times we know to do right, yet we don't do it. And I believe God is fearful for the choices that we make many times because he knows the consequences. But Paul was absolutely fearful for the Galatians because they were about to go back. He said that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. In other words, I've spent all this time sharing with you the truth. Did you not hear anything? Did you not listen? Hey, sometimes I think God wonders that about us. Are we not listening? Are we still going about it our own way even though we know better? That's the worst kind of crazy there is. To to go about life doing things that you know good and well, the pain they'll cause you, yet you do them anyways. He was fearful for the Galatians. So asking the right questions is important, but also remembering God's blessings. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Remember God's blessings. So Paul comes out of the gate pretty harsh. Okay, he's hitting them pretty hard with the truth. But even Paul understood that sometimes you've got to soften it up a little bit. Sometimes you've got to remind them of the warmth and the goodness of the past. Sometimes you've got to bring them back to a time and a day that was better and show them how God has done miracles and worked in their life. Well, in verse 12, we see this. If you'll look there in chapter 4, verse 12, Paul says, I beg you, brothers and sisters, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You have not wronged me. He's talking about how good their relationship has been. He said in verse 13, You know that previously I preached the gospel to you because of a weakness of the flesh. You did not despise or reject me, though my physical condition was a trial for you. On the contrary, you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. He's saying, you remember how good you were to me during my trials and during my time of affliction? And this is nothing foreign to God's word. In Exodus as the children of Israel were about to come out of the nation of Egypt and as they were about to be freed from the slavery of the Pharaoh, God commanded them to observe the very first Passover. And in Exodus chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, this is what the Bible says. The Lord spoke to Moses, Consecrate every firstborn male to me, the firstborn from every womb among the Israelites, both man and domestic animal, it is mine. Then Moses said to the people, listen, Remember this day. When you came out of Egypt, out of the place of slavery, for the Lord brought you out of here by the strength of his hand, nothing leavened may be eaten. This is a practice among God's people throughout the ages. We are commanded to remember 
the goodness of God. We are called to remember back the blessings that God has given us over our life. Here he's saying, I want you to engrave the Passover into your mind. And I want it to be engraved like stone on your mind of why. Of when this took place, it was an act of freeing you from slavery and from bondage. And we understand even the illustration to the future day when the blood of Jesus would be shed and that judgment would pass over us because of the blood of Christ. In Joshua, it's very similar. As the people came to the Jordan River, it says that they were commanded to set up memorial stones. And the memorial stones were for the reason, for the future of when children would ask, what are these stones here for? They said, to tell your children, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the water of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over just as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea which he dried up before us until we crossed over. Now listen, verse 24, this is so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord's hand is strong and so that you may always fear the Lord your God. That is a common practice among God's people. And today, I'm gonna call you to do that and I'm calling you to call your loved ones to do that very same thing. When we are about to go back to our former ways, when we're about to forsake the grace of Christ and go back to our old ways of life. Now remember, I want to make clear, I'm not saying you lose your salvation, but I'm saying that we forget long enough that we stray off that path and we mess up and we make mistakes and we do the wrong thing. And I want you to call yourself and others to remember the goodness of God in your life, to remember what God has done for you over the years, to remember the strength that God gave you in that very difficult time. And let me tell you something, when God begins to bring back those memories, you're going to be a lot less likely to go back because you're going to remember, wow, he is a good God. Wow, he has saved me from so much. Why in the world would I want to go back to that former way of life? Why in the world would I want to go back to that sin? Why in the world would I want to go back to that addiction? Why in the world would I want to go back to trying to be good enough and trying to uh, look good to everybody and trying to be something to everybody I'm not? Why in the world after he has been so good to me? And that's what Paul was getting back at. He's saying, really? I'm your brother. We had this great relationship. We, we served the Lord together, and now look at you. Now you're going back. Please don't go back. I'm begging you. Paul here evidently had a great illness on his first missionary journey. And as he came through this region of Galatia, he had gotten sick. Now, we don't know what had happened to him. Some say it might have been malaria. Some say it was a, a really nasty eye disease. But something about the disease was very gross to the eyes. Something about his body was very offensive. And it would have been even, even more so offensive to ritualistic Jews because of the uncleanliness of a disease. But anyways, as, he's, as he came through, he says here, my disease should have offended you and should have caused you to reject me, but instead... You received me as though I was an angel of God, as though I was Jesus Christ himself. So he's saying, remember the goodness that you showed me. Hey, remember the relationship that we had. He wanted them to remember God's goodness. And then lastly, fight for the truth. To fight for the truth. When we ourselves are, are struggling to go back to our former ways, and when we're seeing others try to go back to their former ways, you know what we need to do? We need to fight for the truth. We need to fight for what we know is right, and we find that in God's Word. Beginning in verse 15 of Galatians 4, the Bible says this, Where then is your blessing? 
For I testify to you that if possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. So then, have I become your enemy because I told you the truth? Has anybody ever gotten mad at you for telling them the truth? Hey, it happens. It happens, right? The Bible doesn't say not to do it, though, because of that, right? They court you eagerly, he says. Talking about the Judaizers, those in the churches of Galatia that were pushing this works-based faith and religion. He's saying, um, so then I have, they court you eagerly in verse 17, but not for good. They want to exclude you from me so that you would pursue them. When we're fighting for the truth, not only in our own lives, but for those around us, and as we're seeing people go back to their former ways, we have got to remember to bring them to the cross. We have got to remember to bring them to Christ who died for them and who rose again. And we have to understand that the number one tactic of Satan in these situations is isolation. Satan wants you to be severed from the very people who will help you out of the situation you're in. That's why church is so important, by the way. Hey, did you know church is not just uh, like, a, like a, a community fellowship thing where you just come and make friends and, 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 and do stuff like that? No, it's actually a way that we fight evil. Because the church puts a support system around each one of us of people who think like we do according to the word of God and who are willing to break through when we need them to, to tell us when we're messing up, to be honest with us. In Proverbs, it talks about iron sharpening iron. It's a very difficult process and can even be painful, but it is essential in our walk with Christ. And that's why Satan wants to get you out of church, by the way. That's why on Sunday morning when you're really tired and you don't feel like getting out of the bed, man, you pop out of the bed on Saturday morning and go hunting in a hurry. Hey, you're about to go over to Knoxville or down to Athens to watch a football game? Good grief, you're, you're knocking the door off the hinges at 4 a.m. And we can't get you here at 9.30 or 11. Good night. You know why? Spiritual. There's something to it. There, there, there's a spiritual battle going on in a realm that we can't see. And Satan wants to isolate you. Hey, you know what? That's why COVID was so dangerous. And I'm not talking about the virus. I'm talking about the fact that people were isolating in their homes away from people who care about them. And bad things were happening. People in deep, dark depression with no one to come to their aid. Suicide. Teen pregnancy. All the horrific things that you can imagine that a society can go through happened because of isolation. Isolation is not of God, by the way. See, things happen when you're isolated that wouldn't happen if it was out in the open. Things happen when you're by yourself that wouldn't happen if you were around godly people. And this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, these people are isolating you. They're pushing me out because I know the truth. And they're trying to get you off by yourself so they can get you to believe a lie. Did you know that every cult does that, by the way? Every cult wants to sever you from your family. If you, if you re, re, are watching the documentaries, Scientology, Jehovah's Witnesses, even Mormonism, a lot of those cults, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to rip you out of your home and out of your family. And they're going to make you believe that your family's trying to hurt you. Now, why in the world would they do that? Because they want to isolate you. Because when you're isolated, you're weak. And when you're isolated, people can toy with your mind and they can get you to believe whatever they want you to. That's why it's important to be in God's house today. Hey, you know what? I'm glad to have you one week a month, but there's some of you, that's all I get you, get you for. And I'd love to see you come a lot more. And it means you taking a stand for your family. Hey, you know, I hear people all the time say, well, my kid graduated college, they never came back to church. I say, well, did you prioritize church when they were younger? 
Well, we went a couple times a month. Listen, your kid knows if you're really prioritizing God's house. And guess what? They're going to go further away from it than you did. It always works that way. And you can't go back and you can't say, well, the youth pastor wasn't nice enough. Or we really need a college program that's going to reach a lot of college kids. No, parents, you're the disciplers. God's called you to teach your children. Deuteronomy 6, it tells parents to teach your children in the way when you're walking, when you're sleeping, when you wake up in the morning. Teach your kids about Jesus. Hey, the church is a supplement to that. Don't blame the church because you didn't prioritize God's house. That's you. That's up to you to do that. And I'm saying that in the most encouraging and loving way that I can possibly imagine. Amen? <laughs> All right, good. Getting some, getting some smiles out there. <clears throat> I like to break the tension. I like to take a knife and just cut it like that and then get the tension out of the way. Then I can go to the next point. <clears throat> so fighting for the truth, and that's so important. You know, one time when I was in Africa, I went on a mission trip several years back, and one thing that you see in these African villages is you see these little children with these very bloated stomachs, and you see them just very sick. You know, there's just so much sickness, and most of it's very easily preventable with probably like a $3 medicine in a lot of cases. We went to this one village, and it was extremely remote, and, you know, I'm talking hours from civilization. And we went to this village, and this young family was there, and they had a child, and they had a hand-dug well that was near their home, and the well was not very deep. I mean, it was probably 20 feet deep or something like that. So it was getting all the rain runoff and all that. Well, the child was very, very sick because he had been drinking that water. So we asked the interpreter, we said, would you please tell this child's father that basically the, the child is dying because you're giving him this water? And the interpreter looked at us and said, no, I will not. And we thought, what? You're not going to tell them the truth about what's killing their child. He said, I don't want to offend them. Now, a lot of times in Christianity and in our circles, we do the same thing. We're watching somebody die spiritually. And we won't tell them because we're afraid we'll offend them. We won't tell them because we don't want them to get mad at us. And they're dying. Hey, listen, there's some things worth telling. I don't care who makes mad. Hey, there's some things that we need to stand up for and that we need to communicate the truth to because we love people. And did you know sometimes making someone mad is loving them? Sometimes telling them exactly what they don't want to hear is loving them the most? Did you know what? Before I got saved, I didn't want somebody telling me that I was a lost sinner. I didn't want somebody to tell me that I needed Jesus, that I wasn't good enough on my own but I'm so glad they did. Hey, I may not have accepted the first time I heard it, but I came to know Jesus because somebody wasn't afraid of offending me. Today, Paul's in this same situation. He's like, listen, I'm all of a sudden your enemy because I'm telling you the truth. Hey, listen, I just care about you. I just don't want you to fall into those former ways. And then lastly, Paul looks here. If we look here in verse 19, Paul just shares some love with them. And he says, my children, I am again suffering labor pains. My children... You hear that? You hear the word that he uses, children and labor pains. For are you until Christ is formed in you. He's saying, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you. I'm going to yearn that you turn your lives around. I'm going to yearn that you go back to Jesus. I'm going to yearn that you go back to a lifestyle of grace until it happens, until you have the character of Christ like I once saw in you. In other words, I'm not going to give up on you. I'm not going to quit. Hey, today, you need some people around you who aren't going to give up on you. Hey, you need some people around you that aren't afraid to tell you the truth, even though it makes you mad. And if you surround yourself by yes men and yes women, you're setting yourself up for disaster. You need that one person who's not afraid to tell you, don't 
go back. Don't go back to those former ways. Let's pray.